Oh, it's not like it used to be. <laughs> G'day and welcome to the Anarchist History of New Zealand podcast. This is the history of New Zealand through a libertarian anarchist lens, specifically that of Rick Giles. Please enjoy the ideas and let me know what you think. In this episode, we will visit 1989 and the one-year prime ministership of Geoffrey Palmer. Before we get into that story, an audio clip from New Zealand's history. following is a 2013 TED talk presented by Otago University's James Flynn. He lived and taught in New Zealand for 40 years, but was an American, which is why he talks like Nixon. And if you're ignorant of history and of other countries, you can't do politics. We've noticed in a trend among young Americans that they read less history and less literature and less material about foreign lands. And they're essentially ahistorical. They live in the bubble of the present. They don't know the Korean War from the war in Vietnam. They don't know who was an ally of America in World War II. Think how different America would be if every American knew that this is the fifth time Western armies have gone to Afghanistan to put its house in order. And if they had some idea of exactly what had happened on those four previous occasions. (laughs) And that is, they had barely left and there wasn't a trace in the sand. Or imagine how different things would be if most Americans knew that we had been lied into four of our last six wars. You know, the Spanish didn't sink the battleship Maine. The Lusitania was not an innocent vessel but was loaded with munitions. Uh, The North Vietnamese did not attack the Seventh Fleet. And of course, uh, Saddam Hussein hated Al-Qaeda and yet had nothing to do with it. And yet the administration convinced 45% of the people that they were brothers in arms when he would hang one from the nearest lamppost. That was world-renowned Kiwi social scientist James Flynn, who died in December 2020. He would not have been surprised that the West shambolically handed Afghanistan to the Taliban in August 2021. Anyway, enough of that. It's time to leave the 1980s and get back to the 1940s. Jeffrey Palmer was the second of the three Labour 4.0 Prime Ministers, taking over after David Lange quit until Mike Moore was deployed to fight the 1990 general election. Palmer's ministry lasted just 11 months, August 1989 to September 1990, during which a great deal occurred that might have helped him and his government win re-election. Labour decided that was not going to happen and changed horses midstream, 
putting the short-fused grenade into Prime Minister Moore's willing hands, only for it to blow up in his face after a term of 59 days. Unbridled Palmer. Jeffrey is one of the last of the silent generation, thus endowing him with the natural traits of abstract imaginative thinking that would allow his developing the legal mind. He was born too early to be a baby boomer and to be infected with their most narcissistic self-entitlement complex and instead has an old-fashioned notion of being of service to wider society. At university, Palmer specialised in public law, having shot out of Nelson powered by academic talent all the way to tenured professorship in the United States. By the end of the 1960s, he was set for life and could have coasted. Instead, he came home to New Zealand. Palmer, now a law prof back home at Victoria University, was one of the respectable supporters listed in the Citizens for Rolling campaign of 1975. It was supposed to look like an authentic grassroots outpouring of support for the then Labour 3.0 Prime Minister Bill Rowling, but was soon exposed as a case of astroturfing. Then, on 18 August 1979, when the safe Labour seat of Christchurch Central came up for grabs in a by-election, it was Palmer's opportunity to get into politics. After his on-the-job training during Muldoon's National 3.0, Palmer was ready when Lungi's Labour 4.0 government came, stomping into power. As with his fellow ministers, Palmer's will was unbridled, and he painted the country with the improvements he had long dreamt of. I had a very safe seat, a glittering prize in politics, in those days of first-past-the-post. Palmer, the ninth floor, 2017, RNZ. Palmer was now Attorney General and Minister of Justice and Deputy Prime Minister for Labour 4.0. In a very short space of time, Professor Jeff had quickly become one of the most powerful men in New Zealand. As part of the 1984 campaign, Palmer re-released his constitutional blockbuster, Unbridled Power. He also headed a royal commission on electoral reform that directly led to the change to the mixed-member proportional MMP system. Palmer was behind the fairly impressive Bill of Rights Act 1990, but also responsible then for Section 4, which makes the entire law a simple nullity. Palmer rolled out the Treaty of Waitangi Amendment Act 1985, which opened up an entire treaty grievance industry all the way back to 1840. Can of worms open. Palmer created the notorious Resource Management Act, dribbled it to the end of the field all the way to select committee stage before half-time was called in the form of a general election 1990, but then National 5.0 capitalised on Palmer's RMA by kicking the ball, already in play, through the goalposts that were now theirs. Can of worms open. Palmer also delivered the State-Owned Enterprises Act 1986 that elevated the Treaty of Waitangi to constitutional status that made all government departments act in deference to the treaty. Worse, it left the meaning of the so-called principles blank so they could, and would, have to be invented later 
on the fly. Can of worms open and worms given roller skates. Just as Roger Douglas made the economy his plaything, Palmer was treating the constitutional fabric of our society like his personal vanity project, Screenplay, with himself as sole writer and director. It was his lifelong dream come true, and then the one thing came along that could stop him. He became Prime Minister. Uh, and I must say that I found being the leader a nuisance. A nuisance? Yes. You found being the Prime Minister of New Zealand a nuisance? I did. The Ninth Floor, 2017, RNZ. The Palmer Interlude. Longy's Prime Ministership fit an honour culture period in our history. Rough, brutal, charismatic, laying down the law on what they had to do and not asking twice for the mandate to do it. By 1989, of course, New Zealand was well into a dignity culture era and the honour culture heavyweights of Longy and his Minister of Finance, Roger Douglas, had cancelled each other out acrimoniously. Palmer was the dignity culture PM, the polite man, the law professor, the intellectual giant, the academic gentleman, the dispassionate measured mind. Dignity culture's major deriving characteristics are that it is structural rather than personal and abstract rather than concrete. Jeffrey Palmer is dignity culture incarnate. A man with too measured a mind to be a leader. McLaughlin, 2012. Prime Minister Palmer came romping into the general election of 1990 with all sorts of winning booster rockets. He would be associated with the new New Zealand, our futuristic new 1990s decade, with Sunday trading and an exciting new media frontier that now would include TV3. January and February kept the masses chipper with the This Is The Moment Auckland Commonwealth Games. Queen Elizabeth II came down to visit and tour the country. Kerry Takanawa came home and gave a massive Dignity Culture concert. Rachel Hunter ate trumpet ice creams on TV for Tip Top. The hits just kept coming. Not to mention, 1990 was a massive national sesquicentennial anniversary. Thanks to Palmer, among others, history had been retconned so that our nation was apparently born with the Treaty of Waitangi on 6th of February 1840. This anniversary landed neatly on February 6th in the year of election. The national celebration also had a mascot in the form of Cookie Kia, the soft toy parrot. He was complete with his own black singlet, a Maori headband, black gumboots and a 1990 logo badge. You can still see some of these soft toys around the second-hand shops, and the original came with his own birth certificate. As I recall, there was a travelling futuristic expo with three huge tents that showcased New Zealand's past, present, and future. Truly, the Palmer interlude had every razzle-dazzle under the sun to help it carry over and win the general election. They even took inspiration from Prime Minister Joseph Ward, who famously out of the blue, purchased a dreadnought battleship to flatter the nation as an election bribe. Palmer pulled a ward and commissioned two Anzac-class frigates, which are still with us today, HMNZS Tikaha and HMNZS Timana. Despite all this planning, all this momentum, 
all these sensations, Labour 4.0 saw their polling results and freaked out about losing their MHR seats, Member House of Representatives. On September 4th, 1990, leadership of the party and Prime Ministership passed to Mike Moore. The Palmer interlude was done, and Geoffrey then resigned from Parliament entirely. After Parliament. Geoffrey Palmer is still with us and active today, poking his head up from time to time and usually as part of his grand project to give us all a new and written constitution. His one, of course. Not two years ago, this is the early 2020s, Palmer was trying to help Labour 6.0 transform the Compulsory Government Health Insurance Scheme, Accident Compensation Corporation, ACC, on the grounds that it discriminated in favour of people who had actual accidents. Can't have that. After serving in office, Palmer set himself up as perhaps the first and certainly the most prestigious public law firm in New Zealand. This was Chen and Palmer, sorry, this was Chen, Palmer and Partners, established 1994. Still, he finds time to champion the then, i.e. before 2020, fashionable cause of global warming. Palmer was interviewed in the Radio New Zealand series The Ninth Floor in 2017 and stood by the comments he made in an earlier book, Reform, a memoir. Our constitutional moment has never arrived. We stand, as my son Matthew has written, gloriously but virtually alone among democracies. That feature has worried me for many years. It poses dangers to the peace, order and good government of New Zealand if demagogues take over, civil unrest develops and continues, or other emergencies precipitated by natural disasters occur. Democracy is more fragile than many realise. Geoffrey Palmer, Reform. A Memoir, 2013. One striking thing was to hear this constitutional concern about the potential for a demagogue to take over the country should an emergency strike. There are some great points here, but Palmer singles out US President Donald Trump, while in 2020, he had the following to say about Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern's response to the COVID-19 crisis. The public policy response to the COVID-19 crisis has been a great and instructive success, and Jacinda Ardern has proven herself a class above all predecessors, Jeffrey Palmer, hallelujah. New Zealand government works. The spin-off.co.nz. So it seems Palmer's principles are more for hobbling the right than for binding or even perceiving demagoguery in the left. It was also surreal to hear a politician concerned about the economic crisis and fiscal deficits at a time when our contemporary politicians seem to be actively seeking those things out. One of the most striking things to me about Palmer is that he never had to work, per se. Academia rewarded his natural talents and inclinations all the way to the top, and when he became high priest of taught law, there was nobody to compete with at his US post, nor anyone in his class back home in New Zealand. Upon his return, he got a safe seat, so he never had to campaign to earn a mandate beyond flattering the Prime Minister. While other MHRs struggled for years or decades to make it to the executive, Palmer slid right in, in the same way he breezed right into the Prime Minister's office, without contest or competition. What empathy is possible 
for this Labour 4.0 politician with suffering. He certainly caused plenty of it. That's the end of this episode of the Anarchist History of New Zealand podcast. Thanks for listening. Please let me know what you thought and visit the AHNZ website. The next episode will take us to the year 1381. Here's a small sample of that show to end this one. New Zealand's first inklings of mass revolt happened in places like Auckland Domain in the summer of 2021, featuring religious leader Brian Tamaki. Black Heath was a rallying point for the first wave of peasants' revolt in the summer of 1381, and like Tamaki, the keynote speaker was a religious man, John Ball. Both Ball and Tamaki were set upon by the constables of the realm for fermenting the early rebellion and were in and out of prison as a result. Tamaki was bound by law not to involve himself in further, quote, revolt when it moved to Wellington, whereas Ball was liquidated in a more medieval way by being executed that same summer. Ball's head was displayed, stuck on a pike on London Bridge, and the quarters of his body were displayed at four different towns. The revolts, in each case, are also alike in that neither sought to overthrow the government. The Lollard priest, Ball, did not preach sedition any more than the destiny preach, Brian Tamaki. Quote, Let us go to the king, unquote, said Ball, and he will put things right. The Freedom Revolt of 2022, likewise, yearned for an audience with rulers who would hear their pleading and plight. Like their medieval ancestors in Meme and or Jean, they wanted someone else, someone with power, i.e. not themselves, to stop mandating the oaths. It broke their hearts that Jacinda Ardern would not hear their deputation, and that nor would Christopher Luxon, nor any other politician. They cried out that the mainstream priesthood, which in our days is the mainstream news media, would not grant them honest hearing and attention. No anarchists, the rallying Englishmen, and the New Zealanders too, were under the impression that the Crown and the media were decent and loyal to the people. They were, therefore, in for a great revelation. <laughs>